This is the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. What you are about to hear is an excerpt from a series titled Tell Me Who Is Speaking. Listen to the introduction episode for a full explanation and important context. The sound of your heart beating is always there. For the heart is forever beating. And our question is how to hear it. How to use that sound as a test and a practice to hear all sounds. And there's something very subtle in the closed loop of self-reflection. And there's also something about having something on the outside correlate with what's happening on the inside. And this idea of the mirror, of a thing looking into itself, a thing reflecting upon itself, is something that is really a principle of everything. When we consider oneness, we consider that everything is just a mirror folding onto itself. And how we find the parameters or the dynamics or the ways of the workings and the whatnot and have you is by isolating or simulating a kind of smaller version of that. And it's the same with talking to yourself. It's the same with asking yourself a question and then coming up with your own answer. And I can feel there's so much that wants to be said. There's so much that wants to come out. And it is a matter of so many things as to how those things will come out. And sometimes the hope that they will come out in a logical fashion actually works against these things. The hope that they will be received a certain way can only work against us. And there was something I was thinking before that i like to bring up again here. And it's to do with the body. It's to do with the way the communication occurs from the body to you. And I think in an abstract sort of sense, we can all 
understand in some way that the body speaks to you. The body is trying to say something. And of course, an easy way to mix this up is to try to actually put your own voice to what the body is saying. I can understand why we have that habit. I can understand why that is something that we sense is a good thing to do. Say how you feel. Say what's happening. Say what you need. Tell me what you need. I'm sure at some point as a child someone said those things to you. Maybe that's where it comes from. But this thing of saying what you need puts a voice of one kind, of which there are many, to a thing which is trying to communicate, which cannot communicate, in that kind of voice. It cannot communicate in that way. And if I say to you, what does your body say to you when you are hungry? What does your body say to you when you are tired? What does your body say to you when you're frustrated? Then the initial response is an answer that you use with words, that you make with words. You immediately jump onto answering the question to me in the same fashion in the way in the same way that I have asked it to you, which is words with a voice, which is this kind of voice. And that doesn't give time to the actual communication of the body. Because, of course, if I ask you these things, then you're actually recalling on a memory. You're not actually answering what is happening right now. You're actually trying to have words which were created from an impression of something that has happened in the past, something that's happened before. Now, if you were hungry at that time that I ask you, well, what what happens when your body is hungry? What does your body say? What is the message that your body is sending you when you're hungry? then that would be something that doesn't quite follow through. And it wouldn't be the exact way of really inquiring into what is occurring for you. So let me try and let me try and put this another way. Let me try and weave this again in a different fashion. Say you're hungry and you are hungry at that time then even me asking you what happens when you're hungry doesn't necessarily allow you to actually get in touch with the message that's going from your body to you. It doesn't necessarily allow for you to make that gap, to bridge that, to get out of that sense of the conventional voice, we might call it, the sort of voice as we're used to rather than the voice of the body. 
that we need to hear. And another way around this is to, to say, well, how do you feel now? And be open to whatever it is. Be open to whatever message. Learn to listen to your body. Learn to listen intently. Learn to listen clearly. And that's not even anything to say of the implications of what you hear. Now, some sensations are acute. Something like hunger, or frustration, or tiredness. They're acute. We can say, well, what about the other parts of the body? Or the times of the day when you don't know what you're feeling, or what your body is trying to tell you. Is it only when the body is desperate that it's trying to tell you something? Is it only when it's in need of something? Well, not necessarily, of course not. When the body is being pleasured, and that's a way of saying something to you which is not of need, of desperation. And this is a very subtle way of working into the tangles that we find ourselves in when we're desperate. And so much of life is a very quiet kind of desperation. And I can see why there is a great tendency to silence the voice of the body. I can see why listening to the body can open up to the screaming of desperation, the pain of the frustration. Because there is a hunger, there is a desire that can't be met. And that is, well, that is a real frustration. That is really the essence of frustration. You can even tell yourself you need something. I need it. I know that I need it. And it's so obvious to me that I need it because my body is screaming at me for it. And yet I can't get it. There's no way for me to satisfy that. There's no way for me to get to that because of my situation, because of how I think and what I'm doing and where I am and the conditions that I'm in and the people that are around and all sorts of things. The whole web, the whole complex. The whole complex is there. And why would you want to look at this? Why would you want to actually listen? Well, there is something in listening. There is something very powerful in learning to hear. And the tangles and the frustrations that occur when you start to listen are not actually a new occurrence. They've actually always been there. And it might be that for some time you do need to silence that voice. It might be that it's too much at certain times. And it might be that there's a way of practicing, of going into this easily. There's a way of untangling things in a gentle way. There is a way of listening 
and being attentive and being okay with a screaming voice. It is okay to listen and yet hold a sense of hopelessness. It's okay to make peace with your hopelessness. And new things will occur because things will change. And so much in the body does change. And it does take an inquiry into different parts. And really there is a, a, larger, a large spectrum, there's a huge spectrum of different sensations and occurrences within the body. And how we go about learning that skill of listening is the key to who is speaking and what is speaking. And perhaps one of the most immediate things is the body. Perhaps one of the things that is so much ingrained in the foundations of what we're doing and how we're going about our lives is nested in the body. And of course, there's always this idea of transcending impulse, transcending desire. And really, what we're talking about here, how it appears to me, so far as we're going through these words in this conversation, it would appear that to transcend those certain things that people normally talk about transcending, such as impulse, would require an actual accepting of it, a kind of listening to it. And it is possible to ask your body questions. It is possible to take the nature of asking questions and actually turn that to your body. And one of the things about a question is that you have to be ready for a certain answer. You have to be ready for a certain way of that person or thing to answer. The question has to imply that you are okay with whatever answer comes back. And there's an art to questions of that nature. It's a skill to develop the ability to ask those sorts of, those sorts of questions. And this really is how do you build a relationship with your body? How do you build a relationship with your desires? And the best thing to do, which is the hardest thing to do when you're frustrated, is to wait. When you're in pain, the best thing to do is to wait. Your body is telling you that there's something wrong. And this is distressing because you can't do anything about it. You're hopeless. You're helpless. And so often the answer is just around the corner. The answer is just a matter of waiting. Because in certain ways of listening, you can't hear the correct answer. You can't hear what is the correct response to hearing a certain answer. You can't know exactly what does it mean that I've heard what my body is saying and I can't 
come up with a proper response or course of action. And different parts of the body have different ways of speaking too. They essentially have their own language. And how does your stomach speak? It's so funny that sometimes the stomach does actually make noises. The rumbling in the stomach. Why is it? What is the belly trying to say? What is the belly saying when it's had too much food? Can you trust that your digestive system knows what's good for it? Can you trust that it's telling the truth when it's telling you something is not right? And in a funny sort of way, we're programmed to only notice the things that go wrong. When things go right, when you've had a good meal, you don't really sit around wondering, oh, why was that so good? Maybe it's just as simple as thinking, oh, that was nice and I I should have that again. And of course, taste is something different to the digestive system. How this tastes is telling you something different to how it digests. And both of those are inquiries that require a kind of listening, a kind of openness to the questions you ask, a kind of attentive calmness with what is being said to you by these parts within you. And you can even practice, practice listening. Allow parts to say things when they might not necessarily really have much to say. Allow them to be unto themselves when there's nothing really acutely going wrong or anything much at all happening. And there's so much that the body can say. There's so much that happens when the body is speaking. And in some ways, what you say about your body speaking or how you translate the the speech or the messages of your body into your conventional sort of speaking is more narrow. There's a a more narrow field. There's a more narrow sense of possibilities. Because the language that we use for everyday speech, well, there's only part of that. Only a portion of that is designed for your sense of the body. So really, that's the key thing to understand. That's the key thing that you need to step into. Which is that the body can't speak in the same way that you can speak. It doesn't have a voice like you have a voice with your mouth and your voice box and making sound. And the trick is, well, understanding where that translation occurs, what gets lost in translation. And really, you have to learn to go back and listen to the primal language. And there was a time when you knew that language. There must have been. It might have been before you learnt how to speak. 
And I feel like I need to make some sort of transition now. I feel like I've been sort of speaking in some sort of subject, which is something that I've actually been trying to avoid. I don't know why. And I do find it funny, the sense of wondering if things will unfold properly. Will will something happen? It's really the real hang-up of the future, isn't it? Will something happen? And I wonder, will something happen? It's really the ultimate question. And I'm starting to sense that on such a micro level, which is in the next moment, is is, is something going to happen next? As in, am I going to say something? Am I going to have words continue to keep going out of my mouth in this manner? of way. And I think the other side of will something happen is will this keep happening? Will this continue? Because everything that we imagine of what could be is somehow at least imagined from what has been what we have known, or what is. Maybe it's not from what is, but from what has been. Because in so many ways, the future doesn't exist. And in so many ways, we are hung up about it. And it's as simple as, will it happen? Will this continue to happen? And that's only the start of it. Because we also have, will it continue to happen in the way that it always has? Will it continue to happen in a different way? Will it continue to happen? Will it happen in a way that I don't want it to? Will it happen in a way that will affect me in a negative way? Will it continue to happen and therefore not allow me some relief of what's happening? And I wonder what it takes to notice that yes, something will happen and yet no, never in the way that you exactly thought it would. Because by our track record, well, things do continue to keep happening. So far, so good. And yet also, by our own track record, never in the way that we could have ever wildly imagined. And if only we could go back and hear what we thought would happen. If only we could really remember how we thought things would turn out. And how silly it is, of course. I hope we can laugh at it. I hope there's a way of seeing, well, maybe if we could laugh at it, we'd be able to go back there and and see in such a way, but really it, it undermines our sense of how we are now. Is that the thing that stops us? 
Is that the implication there? And there is something very enticing about trying to plan for the future. Hoping for the future. Wanting something to happen. Or something to occur. But I wonder if accepting that is a way of dissolving it. It's not like we can walk around and every time we make plans say, oh no, don't think that, no, don't do that, stay away from that. I shouldn't be thinking that. Because that would just dissolve things or, well not exactly, dissolve is the wrong word, it's more a matter of putting a tangle on things that are lopsided putting a tangle on only part of what you're really doing because such a small it's such a small thing what you think of the future it's such a incidental kind of part of what's driving you and not necessarily driving you but more generally your composition And there are some other things that I've been thinking about in trying to answer this question or answer this imperative, tell me who is speaking. And as always, like I said before, I'm worried of, well not worried, but I wonder how it will unfold. I wonder how it will unfold as I say those things. <laughs> I'm worried about how it will sound when I say these certain things. <laughs> and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm now caught with my own pants down. <laughs> I've been caught out. Is that the right saying, caught with your pants down? I wonder where that saying comes from. You have, in so many ways, already the ability to think something else. Because the other thing we need to square with this is, well, what about if you're just, if you're just thinking, and you're thinking to yourself, and you're not really listening? What if you're not really listening to the person and what they're saying? And you can do that in real life. You can sit and you can have someone talk and you can have them blabber on and on and say all sorts of things about elephants and unicorns and big blue whales and the big blue sea and all sorts of animals. We've got mongoose. We've got peacocks. We've got chimpanzees. We've also got a toucan bird. I love the toucan bird. So good. And we've also got a lion. Now, with the lion, he's been around for a while, but we had to also find a lioness for him. And that was a lot of that was a lot of trouble. Actually, I don't want to talk about that. That's that was too much. That was too much of a story. Let's not go there. And of course, it's not just circus animals we've got. We've also got panda bears. We've also got Well, what else have we got? I mean, there's so many. We've got gorillas. We've got guinea pigs. Had a whole bunch of guinea pigs. 
We've also got snakes. Of course, we kept them in separate cages because snakes eat guinea pigs. We've also got an insect collection. We've got butterflies and moths and praying mantises. And there really is a whole lot of different butterflies. I mean, we've got the orange-black, the, the, the tiger ones, the orange-black ones, or the white ones, or the colourful ones. And there's just so many animals. There's just so many. And there's so much that happens with them. There's so much that we can do. There's so much that we can appreciate. And there is really something quite beautiful in the appreciation of an animal. And you don't have to go far because they are around the place. And you can hear all this and be thinking something completely different. 